Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. Well, a very warm welcome to you to Calvary Church today on this first Sunday after the Epiphany. Uh, in which we remember the baptism of our Lord Jesus. And uh, I just want to let you know we're not one of those places, if you've ever lived in the suburbs and you know people who, like, leave their Christmas lights up until May or something like that, like, that's not what's happening here. And so today is the last Sunday of the Christmas ornaments up. And so uh, as we celebrate this first Sunday of the Epiphany, and uh, this is a very powerful day uh, where we reflect on Jesus' baptism. The season of Epiphany is all about the revelation of Jesus as the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And our readings, I'm using the pulpit mic, and our uh, readings today um, uh, throughout the liturgical season illustrate this Epiphany. The baptism of Jesus in the River Jordan by John the Baptist, this is what it's all about today. And this is the first time where the world really gets a glimpse. It's not just Mary and Joseph and some shepherds, but the world gets a glimpse of this epiphany. And along with his death and resurrection, it is the only other event in the ministry of Jesus mentioned in all four Gospels. So it's very, very important. St. Peter today references the baptism of Jesus as part of the proclamation of the Gospel in our Acts reading today. This is a very important reading where, Jesus, uh, where Peter preaches to Gentiles. And you notice whether he's preaching to Jews or whether he's preaching to Gentiles, the message is always the same. There's this whole thing we've got to, like, you know, make different messages for different people so it can relate to different... Ge- nonsense. It's the same message all the time. And that's what St. Peter is doing here in Acts. And if you notice, he references back to Jesus's baptism in the River Jordan. And so what I want to talk about today is three things. I want to answer three questions for you. One, why on earth did Jesus, the sinless Son of God, get baptized? Second, how does the baptism function as an epiphany? And three, how does John the baptism relate Or how does Jesus' baptism relate to our own? So that's what I want to talk about. So on the banks of the River Jordan, John is calling Israel to repentance, to turn from sin and prepare for the coming of the Lord in judgment. Yet here comes Jesus, God in the flesh, who comes to be baptized. The only person who had nothing actually of which to repent of. The only person with no sin, willingly and intentionally here in our gospel reading, steps into a baptism of repentance. The gospel of Matthew, it really hearkens its readers back to the Old Testament. And and the point of the gospel of Matthew is to demonstrate that Jesus is the fulfillment of it. If you read, like, for example, the book of Exodus, Exodus has 50 chapters, Matthew's intention here, beginning at the first chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, is to be like Exodus chapter 51, or maybe even the new Joshua, because if you remember at the end of the book of Exodus, Moses can get them to the edge, but he can't take them into the promised land. Who does? But Joshua, Yeshua, he's the one who takes them into the promised land. And so now we have the new and greater Yeshua who takes them into the promised land. And not only because just just Israel into the promised land, which is everlasting life, defeating the enemies of God, which is sin, death, and the devil, but because he's the anointed suffering servant, the great king that's spoken about in Isaiah, he is the one who takes us into everlasting life. 
So this is the whole point of Matthew's gospel, to show how Jesus is the fulfillment of it. And earlier in this chapter, if you remember John the Baptist, he does what? He cries out, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then Jewish worship, the Passover lamb, the Paschal lamb, it had to be without blemish. Had to be without spot or blemish. So here you see Jesus, this Paschal lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, is getting into the water to be washed. But it's a different type of washing. Because this is a baptism of repentance. Jesus is stepping into the waters of the River Jordan to be washed in our sin so that ultimately we might, by his blood, be washed in his righteousness. This is a very radical image of God. It's the sort of image for us as Christians that points to his death and resurrection. But it also sets Christianity apart from every other religion in the world. The great theologian Karl Hull once stated in his lecture the distinctive elements in Christianity. He said, in all other doctrines of salvation, the belief in liberation is founded on the conviction of the eradicable nobility of mankind or on a metaphysical likeness of the soul with mankind. Jesus, however, instead sees a deep gulf between God and man. According to him, salvation consists rather in this, that God of his free grace came down to meet man. With Jesus, stress is laid rather on the fact that man has forfeited his worth, but that nevertheless God comes to him. God accepts and forgives him. And this is my first point. Why was the sinless Jesus baptized in a baptism of repentance? Well, as he says, let it be now, let it be so for now that we might fulfill all righteousness. But what does that mean, to fulfill all righteousness? Well, Jesus, it means that Jesus was baptized in a baptism of repentance in order to fulfill his mission as the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, to fulfill his mission as the Christ and the Savior of the world. Why was Jesus baptized in a baptism of repentance? Well, existentially speaking for you and me, it's to stand side by side with us and take the place of you and me. Sinful humanity. To put ultimately sin to death in his flesh so that the favor of God might rest on his doing and not yours. In 1985, Whitney Houston sang the question, How will I know if he really loves me? And today we ask the question, how will I know if Jesus is really the Messiah? These questions are intertwined and very similar, but that's for a Sunday forum, not for this sermon. I thought that was funny. But anyway, how do we know here? Because if if Matthew is, is a fulfillment of the Old Testament, specifically the Pentateuch, how do we know here from their perspective that Jesus was the Messiah? Well, in the book of Deuteronomy, truth was established not by one witness, but by a minimum of two. This is what the law commanded. However, as I said, no one would have known Jesus was the Messiah. Remember Phillips Brooks' great hymn, How Silently, How Silently the Gift of God is Given? 
veiled in flesh, Charles Wesley wrote, veiled in flesh, the incarnate deity. Mary wouldn't have counted in a court of law, especially her testimony alone. It's presumed that Joseph had died by this moment. Shepherds, they were transient. You know, they were, they were migrant workers. And wise men from the east were long gone by this moment. So how would we have known? What is Matthew doing here to hearken everybody back to the Old Testament, to show that Jesus is the fulfillment? Well, the triune God provides the witness of himself as Jesus, as he emerges out of the water of baptism. Matthew tells us that the heavens were opened up. And it's interesting because in Mark's gospel, it's the same thing. It's opened up, but the word that's the same word used as when the veil is torn in two in the temple. So the heavens are torn open, and the Father bears witness by speaking, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And this hearkens everybody back to our reading from the Old Testament today, Isaiah, that prophetic word that Isaiah spoke in the Old Testament where it says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. So that's one witness. And then the second witness is that the Spirit bears witness by descending visibly upon Jesus like a dove and resting upon him. And this is my second point. And this is why this is an epiphany, and always the first reading of the first Sunday of Epiphany. The baptism of Jesus is an epiphany in that it bears bears witness to the nature and the reality of our one triune God. The Father and the Spirit are the two witnesses establishing the truth that Jesus, still dripping wet from his baptism, is not only the Lamb of God, but the eternal Son of God the eternal Son of the Father, the Anointed One on whom the Spirit of God rests in full nature, in full measure, in order to bring justice to the nations. Now, baptisms were common in the Roman world. The various mystery cults, like the cult of Mithra, they had them. In the Mithra cults, you would stand underneath a bowl and somebody would cut the guts out over you. And that was to be baptized into Mithra. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Certain Jewish groups had baptismal rites, specifically in those days amongst a group called uh, an apocalyptic group of Jews that lived in a community called the Qumran. And uh, many scholars believe that John the Baptist was a part of it or had associations with it, but that's not important. What's important, what you need to understand, is this important clarification The baptism of John, the baptism of John that Jesus is undertaking, is not the same as a Christian baptism. I hear a lot of people take this text and use it as a justification for adult baptism only, and it's completely missing the point, and it's not the right text. It's not in there. But anyway, the point is, is that John's baptism is a baptism of repentance only an outward and visible sign of these people's desire to commit to God and lead a new life. Christian baptism is in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and it comes with, as John promised, fire and the Holy Spirit. But that fire fell upon Jesus on the cross, and now the Holy Spirit comes through that water and fills the hearts of all who are baptized. It is 
Christian baptism is an outward and visible sign of God's never-failing commitment to you. And in American Christianity, across the board, we have completely just sucked all the life, power, and significance out of the sacrament. In some circles, it's your personal decision that's the most important thing in the world. I have decided to follow Jesus. That's crazy talk. That's not profound. The profound thing is that God has come after you and claimed you. It makes God the passive agent, and then what you do, the most important thing, completely inverses the gospel. And in other circles, specifically, you know, our own, the mainline church, baptism is just this thing we do to babies because, you know, they're cute and it's a chance to get the mother-in-laws together for brunch other than Easter. You know, I mean, let me tell you about the one time I almost got fired as a minister. Um, I, was, I was a new minister and I was full of vinegar and fire. There's another word for vinegar. But anyway, um, I was full of it. And these people called and they were like, hey, we'd just like to get our baby done. And, uh, and that just, like, set me off. And so, anyway, I had the meeting with them. And we're going through it, and you could tell they didn't really care. It's just because the mother-in-laws wanted the baby to be baptized. And anyway, the, the woman goes, well, what should uh, our baby wear that day? And I said, all black. <laughs> because we're going to kill her. We're going to bury her with Christ. And then she'll be raised eventually in a resurrection like hers. And the, like, eyes lit up, and they, like, left. And I think they went on to St. Thomas or something because I never saw them again. They didn't show up. But here is the thing. We've completely sucked the life out of it and then I just hammer it to death. Baptism is God's commitment to you. And it's a promise to you in this ordinary element of water. It's a powerful thing. When we watch someone get baptized, we're not only should be renewed and encouraged, but we are literally watching the death, the dead, come to life. As St. Paul writes in Ephesians, you who were dead in your sins and transgressions. It's not like you who were having a bad day. You who were dead... And when that water pours over our heads by faith, we believe that we are brought to life. New life. This is what it is to be born again. And Jesus' baptism, it relates to yours. But it relates to yours in the inverse. And it comes with the witness of the same triune God. For in your baptism, you are claimed there and made God's child. Children born not of the will of the flesh, but by God, as John says in his first chapter. In your baptism, the Spirit descends on you, not visibly in the form of a dove, but in that water, that water that comes with word, In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, testifying and claiming you as one by that Holy Spirit, anointed by God. For the Spirit who now lives in you is the down payment of your salvation and the assurance that you will be raised from the dead on the last day. And in your baptism, Jesus stands with you, making his death yours 
His life yours. His holiness yours. And now, his father yours. And as the father spoke over Jesus, this is my well-beloved son in whom I am well-pleased. You in him are his beloved child, bought and claimed and adopted as his own. And in him, in Christ, and because of Christ, the Father is well pleased with you. And this is my third point. Jesus' baptism relates to our own. For in baptism, heaven is now opened to us as it was opened to Jesus. We can't see this, and so naturally, doubting humans that we are, we're so inclined from time to time to think that it's not real. I've got to do something. Or our baptism is just some sort of symbolic ritual to show that we're kind of in the game. But nevertheless, you've been baptized in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And all of this is most certainly true. And in that water, as St. Peter says, not Jacob, but as St. Peter says, baptism now saves you. And it saves you because the triune God declares that you are also his beloved child. And because of Christ, Christ with you, Christ for you, and Christ coming again for you, no matter what happens, because of Christ in those waters, the Father is well pleased with you also. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.